Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Red-Headed Preacher and Pastor of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. We are an open and affirming congregation within the UCC. Today's message, preached on Sunday, April 25th, 2021, the fourth Sunday of Easter, which also April 25th happens to be both my late father's birthday and my late father-in-law's birthday, born in different years. The sermon this morning is about love, God's love, and our call to show the same kind of love to one another, and I believe by extension to the world. The passages uh, will be read by Carolyn Van Til, and the sermon title is Love is a Verb. Please join me in the spirit of prayer before we listen further. Blessed God, some of us come to you in a time of great distress. Some of us in a time of relative ease. Some of us in a great mood with anticipation. And some of us from another, just another place and space. Thank you for gathering us here. We ask your blessing on this proclamation and on this listening and on the thinking about it afterwards and perhaps the talking about it afterwards. For yours is the glory. You're the reason this message was preached and recorded, has been put into a podcast, and it's why folks listen to it. For you, ultimately. For we are here for you. We are yours. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray your blessing. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 23. This will be the relatively unfamiliar rendering found in the New Revised Standard Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley and fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life. My whole life. This reads the ending of Psalm 23. Our epistle reading, as it has been the last week, is from First John. It is chapter 3. Verses 16 through 24. This passage is about love for one another, for those in need, how to show it real and about our assurance grounded in God's love. John writes, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, but we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's good and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and God knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from God whatever we ask, 
because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This ends the reading from the epistle. Our gospel lesson goes back to John today, after a detour to Luke 24 last Sunday. It is John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming to leave the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this world. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down with my own force. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. And I have received this command from my Father. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson and our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this and the word of God for the people of God. I learned a long time ago that just because someone, say a parent or a spouse, uh, does not say the words, I love you, it does not mean she or he does not. For a lot of folks, it is more easily shown than spoken. You hear of parents who go to work, keep the roof over the family's head, put food on the table, have nice Christmas and birthday celebrations, and are not abusive, but are not overtly or verbally loving, quote-unquote. These parents still love their families, and they prove it by what I just described, taking care of their loved ones. Nobody's perfect. Love is a verb, and it does not always have to be spoken. So you will not be dismayed when I point out that the beloved 23rd Psalm does not have the word love in it. But all that it describes sounds like a proof of love. The Lord is the psalmist shepherd. All his needs are provided for. The shepherd makes sure that there are green pastures for eating and laying down still waters to drink from. Sheep will not drink from moving waters like a river. Time is given for the human sheep. For spiritual renewal, you restore my soul. And so on. The Lord as shepherd protects the psalmist from danger with the rod and staff and will do so again in the darkest valley. There will be honors like oil on the head, an overflowing cup, and a table set for him in front of his enemies. Goodness and mercy will chase the psalmist all the days of his life, and he will always live in God's house. We don't hear the word love, but we hear all about love in action, providing, protecting, guiding, feeding, sheltering. Love is a verb. 
What other verbs do you think describe the actions of loving? Cooking, baking, cleaning up, knitting, driving to soccer, hockey, or play practice, being present when being present is what is needed, making a covenant commitment, giving, making sacrifices, helping, and so many more. We know about tough love, too. When someone says something or does something that isn't pleasant and doesn't seem loving on the surface, but is coming from a solid, loving heart. Family members, you know, have told me some jarringly critical things, as only family can. But I took it to heart. They were right. That was tough love at the time. I'm sure we could all come up with more verbs that describe the actions of loving, and that's good. I think a lot of us perhaps may have tried to think of actions that describe loving in the wake of recent events or analysis thereof, and in the wake of long-standing situations with deep roots that cut beneath borders, generations, and education. Having just marked the resurrection of Jesus three weeks ago, we would think of love as a verb that into these harsh realities of today still brings power and hope and joy and transformation. And a lot of patience. But that's a given, right? Since the first word that Paul uses to describe agape love in 1 Corinthians is patient. Love is patient. Or, to be a verb, love is being patient. Because transforming some wicked ways takes a long, long time. Going back to the psalm for a moment, we are reminded that being loved by the shepherd can have its challenges and its blessings. United Church of Christ staff person and author Rachel Hackenberg wrote this in coming to the end of a recent daily devotion on Psalm 23. She wrote, But rarer still, and perhaps more essential, is the overflowing banquet table spread in the midst of enemies, the space of relief, carved out, protected on the landscape of distress, the measure of joy poured without reserve or apology, even and especially when pain tries to steal the cup. The anointing of life and love that cannot be revoked by the enemy hatred, by systemic violence, by the profit machine of death or the gaping greed of capitalism. Rare that is, she said unless we sit at it. Every single time the enemy shows up. Rare. Unless we dine at it deliberately, deliciously. Every time the shadows lengthen. Rare. Unless we invite one another to it through hell and high water. Rare. Unless we trust 
that the table is always prepared for us, even when there isn't a single pasture or still pool in sight. It does take some faith to receive God's love when it comes to us, especially when life is almost too much and anxieties are too tight to open up to grace. Yet, the Word affirms that the Good Shepherd embodied The Good Shepherd Jesus embodies love as a verb, an action done by someone for someone. Jesus had another set of words in the Gospel lesson when he spoke of his own love as a verb or verbs. Speaking of himself, he said, The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 15, he repeats, And I lay down my life for the sheep. Two verses later, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Four times in eight verses. We know Jesus the Good Shepherd laid down his life for his sheep and those who were not of that specific flock out of his special relationship with the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. The word love is not there, but the fact of his laying his life for us in the passion and then the resurrection shows that love forth. This is John's gospel, after all, where we're told in chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love motivates and animates the birth, the life, and the death and rising again of our Christ. We are so accustomed, I think, to go straight to Jesus' crucifixion as the laying down of his life that we can easily forget that Jesus' whole life was laid down for us. All that the gospel tells us of his life, teaching, healing, exercising demons, traveling, being rejected, being misunderstood, resisting temptation, upsetting the religious establishment, and speaking truth to power. All of this was not Jesus having fun, spending a few decades of vacation from heaven on the third rock from the sun. It was all laid down for the disciples and the world and for every generation after that one, including you and me. Love was a verb that took up Christ's entire life and still does. For Jesus to lay down his life culminated in his crucifixion, and it is its highest expression of it, but it is not all of it. Now, about you and me, we are not the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep as Jesus laid down his life and death and resurrection receiving for our salvation. You and I are the sheep, the beloved beneficiaries of him laying down his life all the way. You, me, and the world God so loves. In John's first letter, the sheep language gives way to little children. We have heard a passage of how love is a verb for Yahweh in the Psalms, and embodied by Jesus in the Gospel, now it is about how you and I model for others what Jesus did for the world in our day and age. 
how you and I love each other, especially those in need. First, he starts out, as we heard Carolyn read, with familiar words. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. As Jesus once put it elsewhere, the servant is not above the master. We have to take up our cross, our cross, if we would be his disciple, he said. If it is not martyrdom, like it surely could have been in the early church and was, it is at least carrying within us the willingness to die for the faith. It is the denial of our self-centered orientation so Christ could rise in us and radiate through us more fully. It is at least some kind of sacrifice for the good of others, if not for the community of Christ. He laid down his life for us in death and throughout his life, so you and I ought to do so also, John says. We belong to this very Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. And that's what the body of Christ did and does. Well, John goes on from there to love as the why and the how. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word and speech, but in truth and in action. Love is a verb. Sharing, not hoarding or grasping. What we have is a verb, a love expression, blessing others. New Testament scholar C.H. Dodd wrote, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. Well, what can we choose to lay down in order to embody the love Christ Jesus exemplifies? Not to forget the resurrection and Jesus talking about taking his life up again. What can we choose to take up in order to embody the love Christ Jesus exemplifies? For both verb phrases, laying down, sometimes seen as surrendering, and taking up, can be love as verbs. United Church of Christ pastor and writer Cheryl Lindsay wrote, most of us in the Western world will never be faced with the choice of giving our actual lives for another or for the gospel. A member of my doctoral cohort, however, was part of the persecuted church which still does exist as a marginalized and oppressed community in some areas in the world. Early on in our program, his church was bombed. Later, the pastor was murdered. Emmanuel would succeed him as pastor. And last year, Emmanuel and his wife were also murdered because of their faith and the witness of their faith community to the liberating God. For most of us, loving our neighbor asks much less of us than that. It compels us or involves donning a mask and adhering to public health guidelines during a pandemic. 
it compels us to take an honest accounting of policing in America and make substantive changes in recruitment, training, and retention of individual officers and funding of resources to address public safety without holding on to policies and procedures birthed out of racial terrorism. She continued, for countless essential workers, it has meant risking personal safety and security in caring for COVID patients, providing services to grieving families, and ensuring that the rest of us, with the privilege to shelter at home, have the goods and services we need to survive these times. With or without warm fuzzies, love has been and remains a verb where there is a willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life, to enrich the life of another, as Professor Dodd wrote. Love is a verb, and us as Christians following our Lord, it is to be shared when we see someone in need, and we have what is needed to help. John challenges the very Christianity of those who withhold. How does the love of God abide in such? To borrow a verse from Leviticus 19, verse 16, we as Christians are not to stand idly by. That can also mean to not be silent in the face of wrongdoing. At some point in the past, I preached a sermon reminding us of the phrase, silence equals death. It was used a lot during the AIDS epidemic. Too many people and agencies were standing idly by, or worse, not raising their voices to support the sick, dying, and their families and caregivers, nor to prod reluctant governments to fund more research, which eventually did produce antiretrovirals, which have made a relatively normal life possible for those with AIDS. Too late for my brother, but still. They said silence equals death, stop being silent. It made a difference. Silence still equals death in some other areas, don't you think? Bring, brings me back to those questions. What can we choose to lay down in order to embody the love Christ exemplifies? Or what can we choose to take up in order to embody the love Christ exemplifies? Love is a verb full of life and hope. It does not stand idly by while others hurt. What is that full verse in Leviticus anyway? To not stand idly by, the full quote is, do not stand idly by when your neighbor's blood is shed. That's one translation. That's verse 16 of chapter 19. Verse 18 is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love moves personally and interpersonally and locally or beyond where it is needed. The late Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor and author, put it like this. Do not stand idly by if you witness injustice. You must intervene. You must interfere. Reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's reason for being part of, and that he was a pacifist. We're breaking that for being part of a plot to try and kill Hitler. He said, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. 
And then there are the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. To love as Jesus, to lie down or take up at a cost, to bring love, to aid justice, to promote nonviolence, and to stand up against injustice, to be, to show forth in actions the love of Christ. That's being faithful. Thank you once again for tuning in to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. If the ending of the sermon interests you in joining up with others, taking action on issues of uh, you know, pro-justice or anti-injustice, or some of the other areas that I've mentioned, or some that have come to your mind, I'm sure there are organizations in your neighborhood or churches and synagogues in your neighborhood, or just the national body of the United Church of Christ, that would have resources available to get something started or for you to join something that has already been started and is uh, you know, on the road and kind of established. So there are places to go and uh, for resources and ideas. And until then, um, I hope the scripture stays with you to love one another as we ought to do as Christ laid down his life for us. So until next week, May 2nd, which will be our church's 154th anniversary celebration Sunday, I wish you all to have a good week.